listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the mighty Alan Carter program. As we get ready for a long weekend, we reflect back on the summer, and today's theme is highs and lows. I don't know if you've ever done this. This is something we do in my family. Whenever we do get a chance to all eat together, which is not often, but when we do, we go around the table. What's your high? What's your low? What's your high? What's your low today? But let's think about it in terms of our summers and our politics and the things that drove us crazy and the things that made us laugh out loud. LOL, people. What's your high? What's your low? Search high and low. Sound of music there helping us out. We're going to search high and low for your highs and your lows over the next hour, including calls from you about your highs and your lows for your summer. But we begin with stickers. Stickers! I love stickers! A law requiring gas station owners across Ontario to post anti-carbon tax stickers on their pumps came into force today. Now, the province says it will not issue fines right away for those who do not comply. A spokeswoman for Energy Minister Greg Rickford said inspectors who will be checking for the mandatory blue decals won't create a burden for businesses. For the first few months, inspectors are focusing on education and helping gasoline retailers come into compliance. I hate this sticker. Now... Here is the actual statement here from Greg Rickford, who is the Minister of Energy. By the way, here's what I did this morning. Uh, I thought the Minister of Environment was in charge of this. And I know you think to yourself, well, this doesn't matter. But in my world, emailing the wrong flack uh, and saying, hey, listen, can your minister come on and talk about this whole sticker thing? And then getting a response back that says, actually, that's not our file. That's, um, that's energy. That's Greg's. I'll uh, CC you. That is like a smackdown. That is like, you are an idiot. In the, in the Queens Park world, that's what that is. I'll just tell you that. Now, here's Greg Rickford's statement, which I had emailed over to me. Mr. Rickford was uh, unavailable to come out of the program. To inform Ontarians about the impact of the federal carbon tax as of August 30th, 2019, Gasoline retailers in Ontario are required to display the federal carbon tax transparency sticker on gasoline pumps. Now, our goal is to educate the public about the impact of the carbon tax without burdening hardworking small business owners. I love stickers. Is this a new low? Is this a new low for you? Because we're talking highs and lows. If you oppose the Ford government and everything it stands for, as we all hour long, Search high and low. is this a new low for you? Hey, who speaks for the anti-sticker squad in this province after all? Andrea Horvath of the NDP? Well, I think there's a massive eye roll going on all around Ontario. <laughs> I think we, if there's one thing that uh, folks see is that this is a, a blatant partisan effort uh, that Mr. Ford is using public money for uh, and knuckling down on private businesses to to carry, you know, partisan uh, propaganda. How do you feel about the whole stickers? I'm indifferent to them. I mean, there's ways to look at it, right? 
And yet, here is a pointed question for our lefty leader from the press gallery this morning. This is a question that came from the press gallery. This would have come from a reporter who would know whose file the stickers were. He would know that. They asked this question. If everybody's corneas are strained from all these eye rolls, how come the recent polling puts the leaderless Liberal Party outpolling the NDP? If everybody's so shook up about DOFO, how come Andrea isn't off to the races? Why? Every poll is different, and I'm not going to get and dig into the details of all of these different polls. What I can tell you uh, is that I'm uh, I'm pretty proud of the work that we're doing as the official opposition, and we certainly hear uh, from Ontarians that they're proud of the work that we're doing as well. And so we're just going to continue to focus on that because that's our job. I think Andrea has found something. Search high and low. She's found a high. I think that's Andrea's high. Andrew was actually making an announcement this morning, and one of the, the announcements that she made is she's designated a new critic portfolio. And, and what that is, if you don't know, if you're in opposition, you basically, you know, you're, you're designated the person, okay, that's your file. You know, if something goes wrong with that, you talk about that. For example, Peter Tabbins was the one talking today about uh, the stickers because that's his critic portfolio. I love stickers. He does not love stickers. See, he put out a statement. That's his portfolio. So there's a new portfolio that's been created, and it's ethics and accountability. And the new job has gone to Taras, to Taras Natasik, who is the MPP for Essex, and joins me on the line. Hi, Taras. Good afternoon. What's your high? What's your low for the summer politically? The low is that we will still have nearly two months before we get to go back to the Ontario legislature because Doug Ford has deemed it, uh, you know, necessary for him to take a little break from uh, the legislature and the scrutiny that we've been putting him under uh, as members of the opposition. So that's the low that I don't get to do my job in the house where the people elected me to do the work that we need to do. Uh, The high is always uh, talking to constituents on a daily basis and finding out what their needs are, what their concerns are, and and how we can make life better in Ontario. So that's that's why we do the job. That's great. I appreciate you playing along. Why do we need a critic portfolio on ethics and accountability? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, It's because uh, there's never been more work at the Ontario legislature when it comes to keeping a government on the right ethical uh, line than there has been since Doug Ford took uh, took over the premiership. And unfortunately, I think it's uh, it's going to be a lot, lot more work in the years to come. We've seen uh, this government embark on uh, issues around uh, appointments and uh, been mired in scandal when it comes to appointing their friends and, and connected people to the PC party to six-figure jobs within the government and the broader public sector. That's something that uh, requires uh, a watchdog. Uh, we've seen Doug try to use public dollars to buy his own personal pleasure wagon to wheel him around Ontario in comfort and luxury when that was never uh, required for any premier to do the job uh, beforehand. So uh, it's something that uh, we thought, and Andrea, as our leader, thought that uh, required special attention, and I'm honoured uh, to take that file over and to carry that flag. Pleasure wagon. That's 
That, that's what I took from that. Pleasure wagon. Thank you. But here, here's, here's the, the thing that has happened, I think, in the last couple of months that everyone is focusing on, which is a change in portfolios. We have a new minister of education who's out in the forefront. Uh, we have now a new chief of staff. We have a kinder, gentler Ford nation, don't we? Well, we still have the same premier who has shown uh, a pattern of disregard for uh, accountability and transparency. And, uh, you know, his his ethical compass certainly doesn't point in the right direction. So uh, to think that a cabinet shuffle will change the direction of the, the person who's steering the shift is a little bit naive. And as opposition members, we are focused on the job to hold this government accountable and to make sure that they are acting in the in the proper uh, methods and, and uh, in the best interests of Ontarians. When we talk about the stickers, is that a diversionary tactic, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's useless. I mean, what what is this? This is an exercise in propaganda and wasteful spending in uh, Doug Ford trying to, to brand his, his narrative and, and their talking points uh, on private enterprises. And not only that, but imposing massive sanctions on companies that don't comply. I mean, you just got to talk to anybody in your local business improvement association or the chamber of commerce, and they'll tell you how, how ridiculous this is. It's heavy handed. It's big brother government. And, uh, it's, it, it ultimately is going to, you know, prove to be a, a complete fail. Uh, when people see that these stickers are going to peel off, people will peel them off and, those who are going to be punished are those business owners that, you know, have to either comply or, or, or be fined $1,000 a day or t- up to $10,000. It's ridiculous, and I don't think it uh, is in the best interest of the public. I hate this sticker. Thank you, Tarras. appreciate you being on the program. My pleasure. Take care. So, stickers. Is that the new low for the Ford government? What's your high? What's your low? We're going to talk about highs and lows in our next segment. So stay with us as we continue on the Mighty Alan Carter program. Search high and low. Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Your calls on highs and lows for the summer coming up. But uh, just to let you know what's going on in terms of what's open and closed over the weekend, most grocery stores and malls will not be open Monday, with some exceptions. For that last-minute back-to-school shopping, the Eaton Centre, Square One of Mississauga, and Vaughn Mills are among the malls that will be open for business. Some pharmacies will be open, but you should check individual stores online to be sure. Banks, post offices, libraries will all be closed. If you need booze, if you need booze, this is an important announcement. If you need booze, you had better stock up by Sunday. Outlets are all closed on Monday. If you're looking for beer Monday, good news there. The beer store says that for the first time in its history, 64 locations across Ontario will be open Labor Day. Can you say political pressure? Uh. As for getting around, the TTC is on a holiday schedule on Monday, while Go Transit will run a Sunday schedule on Labor Day. Most attractions are also open Monday. Attractions! For a complete open and closed list include 
which of the beer stores will be open. Just head to globalnews.ca slash Toronto. Let's move ahead. I want to move ahead to this rail thing. Now we're going to skip ahead just a wee bit here, letting Robert know that. An all-aboard call to politicians from the owners of North America's biggest passenger rail company. Will this be a high or a low to be able to go on a rail line between Chicago and Toronto? Remember, your call's ahead. Search high and low. Amtrak wants to run this train service between Chicago and Toronto, but they need help from elected officials in Canada and the States. And they're waiting for politicians to decide if the route should run through Windsor or Sarnia and fix up some older sections of tracks. Now, they're pressuring officials to make those decisions sooner than later. This is really a public relations campaign here. Because if you build public support, then you can build it and then they will come. How soon? Well, here is Amtrak spokesman Mark Maglieri. It depends on your definition of soon. There's ways forward for this to occur, but it's a multi-country project for it to happen. If you've driven the 402 over to Sarnia and you see these trucks on all sides of you and people who are putting on their makeup or talking on the phone, you have to know there's a better way. But wait a second. This train, if I am not mistaken crosses countries. And isn't that some kind of border issue? Keep in mind, we do that every day in Vancouver, B.C. Amtrak runs more service in and out of Vancouver, B.C. than VIA does today. And we take a lot of people down to Seattle on the Amtrak Cascade service, and it's done reliably in both directions. So there's a way. So there's a way. Something to keep in mind? A frightening chill continues in China and the world's ability to understand what is happening in that country. Chinese authorities have now declined to renew the press press credentials of Beijing-based Wall Street Journal reporter Chun Hanwang. The move by Beijing effectively expels a journalist who extensively covered President Xi Jinping and Communist Party politics. China's foreign ministry said in a response to a fax question about Chung's visa that some foreign journalists with the evil intention to smear and attack China are not welcome. The action comes one month after Chun co-wrote a story detailing an Australian probe into alleged links between Chinese money laundering and suspected organised crime. I'm Charles de Ledesma. We have some news from around the world, from the animal world for you here. Apparently highs and lows is not going down so well. Well, we'll just, you know what, maybe that's my low. I'll tell you, I can tell you what my eyes and my low. <laughs> just to back it up again, if you're just joining us, uh, this, this is a thing I do in, in my family. Uh, we, and I'm, I'm sure other families do this. When we get a chance to get together and eat, we go around the table, highs and lows. And I have a 13-year-old daughter, and her low is always highs and lows is her low. This particular moment, Dad, with you talking to me at the dinner table is my low. I'll tell you what my highs and my lows are coming up. But first, give me a funky beat and we'll get you some animal music. Starting off with my particular fear. Alligators. That's right. Alligators. Georgia. A Georgia kayaker says he could only think of paddling faster after realizing he wasn't alone in a pond. 
Bo Story told WRDWTV, I just paddled and paddled, to get away from a 10-foot, 360-pound alligator that got as close as five feet from the back of his kayak. Alligators? That's right. News outlets report that Richmond County deputies received a call from Story saying he was being chased by the behemoth. Story was practicing for a bass fishing tournament. Deputies arrived on the scene and wrestled the massive gator with help from hunter Trey Durant and his friend Robbie Emerson. Not nice they got mentions in this story. The alligator was clearly not afraid of humans and was deemed a nuisance, so it was killed. When we do animal stories, sometimes they don't turn out well. It's like... Sounds like another low. That's a low. Vermont farmer says most of the 250 pigs that escaped earlier this month from a fenced-in area have returned with the help of a trail of hot dog buns. Walter Jeffries of Sugar Mountain Farm in Orange says the fence was damaged via vandalism. He says roughly 50 adult pigs and 200 piglets escaped. He said Thursday the masked majority of the pigs are back. The town clerk says some pigs can still be spotted on or around the roads near the farm. She says it's creating a nuisance for drivers and walkers and could be dangerous for the pigs. Jeffries faces a fine of $82,000 because the animals have been or are in the town right of way. The pigs were killed. Things don't always turn out well. Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. A group that monitors sea turtles in Hilton Head has reported finding a two-headed loggerhead hatchling. News outlets report Sea Turtle Patrol Hilton Head Island says the hatchling was found alive Tuesday and released into the ocean. The group's leader, marine biologist Amber Kuhn, says a genetic mutation caused the second head on the turtle, since named Squirt and Crush. The group shared a picture of the turtle on Facebook on Wednesday that showed the creature's small body partially eclipsed by a gloved hand. The post wished the turtle good luck. Good luck, crush and squirt! Since they couldn't really swim as the heads controlled separate flippers, they weren't working together, so... The turtle was eaten. Florida! Authorities say a surfer at a Florida beach caught air on a wave and landed on a shark that in turn bit him on the hand and calf. Finally, turnabout. Am I right? Finally. These are all lows. Donald Welsh tells Daytona Beach News Journal that he had been surfing at New Smyrna Beach for several hours Tuesday when he decided to try going airborne before leaving for the day. Well, that's your problem, Donald. Tricks are for kids. Ocean Rescue Captain Tamar Marfers butchered that. Landed on the six says that uh, he landed on a six and a half foot shark in waist deep water and sustained lacerations that weren't considered life threatening. The forty year old Walsh says he didn't see the shark below him when he landed in the water, but the shark bite brought it into focus. I bet. 
Walsh says he'll be back in the water as soon as his wounds heal. So essentially the guy steps on a shark and he gets bitten. The shark survived. A Maryland man visiting Jamaica decided to bring back honey from his favorite roadside stand and was jailed for months on the false assumption he was smuggling methamphetamines. News outlets report that Leon Houghton was returning home from a family visit last Christmas when a drug-sniffing dog alerted to his bag in Baltimore. He figures it was the fast food leftovers he was carrying. He was arrested, remained jailed despite being granted work release, even after a Maryland state lab weeks later found no evidence of drugs in the honey. Rally, North Carolina. A North Carolina's man's body has been exhumed from a gravesite after a court order after a funeral home discovered it had mistakenly sold the same plot twice. Kizzy Selwell bought a plot for her husband upon his death in 2014. Last year, turns out another customer also bought the same plot. Who is in there? In London, Britain's Princess Charlotte will soon be starting school. She'll have her older brother to help her get used to the new place. Kensington Palace said Thursday that the four-year-old princess will attend her first day of school on September 5th. Charlotte and her six-year-old Prince George will be students at Thomas Battersea School in London. The palace says parents will take their two oldest children to school that day. And I tell you what, when you take your kids to school as a parent... It's a high. It's a high after a summer of, I'm bored. But that first day, that first drop-off, that can be tough. That can be tough. That is all the news fit to funk to. On the Alan Carter Radio Program, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Comedian Steve Smith, better known as Red Green from the beloved Gemini Award-winning comedy series The Red Green Show, has announced the addition of several new dates for his This Could Be It fall tour throughout Canada. More shows to be announced, kicking off September 19th in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Red Green embarks on his final journey through his homeland with a coast-to-coast trek that will culminate October 30th at the Georgian Theatre in Barrie, Ontario. Steve Smith joins me on the line. Steve. Well, thank you so very much for joining us on the line. Uh, how are you feeling today in 2019? You know, I'm uh, very close to how I felt yesterday. It's a, it's a beautiful day out the window, and I'm breathing. You're breathing. Yeah. How do you, in when you're doing your show these days, how do you incorporate what is essentially a character right out of the 50s, Stuck in time yeah. with today's world. I don't. That's the key. It's up to the world to adapt to red. So the world has to see itself reflected back from red. 
like yes, a shiny right. piece of duct tape. Exactly, and that's and that's why the audience comes. That's what they want to see. They want to just be reminded that life can be simple if you work at it. How do you work at it? Well, uh, I'm sort of very self-motivated. I try to create my own world and then live within it as, as often as I can. Uh, and uh, I, I, with Fred Green, I have a character who has a certain point of view, and as long as I apply that point of view honestly to different topics, then uh, the audience is right there with me. And how do you find the material for Red Green? Well, I've been married for 53 years. That's a pretty good source. Uh, <laughs> that that I, teaches some truths, does it oh not? Oh, my goodness gracious me. You know, if there's a Ph.D., I should have it. Yeah, but it's and you know what? We're still happily married, too, so that's another trick. So um, that's all good. And I do stuff, Alan. I don't just sit around and watch television or play video games. I actually do stuff. I have old cars. I keep them on the road. I, I can do a valve job. I can replace ball joints. I do stuff. There's no need for swearing. <laughs> Sorry. I, I can replace testicle joints. <laughs> have you ever considered having one of those giant plastic swinging testicle things from the rear of your vehicle? Not so much. I've actually seen them on like a tailpipe of a truck. That's even better. Or on the on the trailer hitch. That's that's a good look. Is it a good look? Do you think? I did. I tell you, it cuts down on the tailgaters. <laughs> now, would would Red Green the character? Would he go for something like that? No, no. That's rude. You know, I mean, uh, Red's Red's not obscene or angry. He doesn't even fit in the world of comedy these days. And then, so where does he slide in when you start thinking about? comedy and you think about characters where do you put them you know it's it's that's been the trick from day one and day one was a long time ago but i mean uh, you know red green at just for laughs is not going to work you know he's pretty much irrelevant to the comedy club crowd but people who see what he does and relate to it they come out and they support it and they've kept me alive that's why i was on pbs in the states because people would write a check you didn't need millions of viewers. You just need hundreds of viewers who will write checks. And that's what it is. And when they come to see me, I find they, they have a red-green somewhere in their family. And not only that, but they like the guy. So I become the beneficiary of that goodwill. Because this is a bit of an everyman, a Canadian everyman, an international everyman? Uh, well, it's at least uh, North American because... Uh, there are people in the U.S. who don't even know it's a Canadian show. They think I do it in Minnesota or something. I mean, the mid Midwest U.S. is eh, pretty close to being Canadians. And what is it? What is the commonality when they come and talk to you and they say? Because I think everybody, you know, comes to you and says, "I I have this story. This guy in my life is exactly this character." Right. What's that one story that threads through all of those? Uh, Self-sufficient, not stupid guy, a guy that can make something work with just using duct tape and bailing wire. Just, you know, a very self-reliant kind of guy, not a guy who, whose first tool is the phone. You know, he, he reaches for a, some pliers or a hammer or something. Where did duct tape first come from? Well, duct tape was really a metaphor for the character, to be honest with you, Alan. It was, you know, it's kind of like it's a, it's a quick fix and it's somewhat effective and doesn't last too long. And and ever since that, at least in my in my house, it was like reach for the red green. 
Yeah, red green has become a verb even. Oh, well, let's just red green. Let's just red green it. You know, I've heard the people say that. So, yeah, but it, that was that was a very conscious decision to associate ourselves with uh, with duct tape and try to use that to um, increase the uh, knowledge of our brand. When you talk about our and you talk about uh, the longevity of your marriage. Uh, Tell us again about the origin story of Red Green and, and how your wife was so uh, pivotal to that. <laughs> well, i I got to tell you this. This is a true, true story. All the time that I was writing the first season, and she, I never sh- showed my wife anything, never showed her a script, never showed her uh, any scenes, nothing. So her first exposure was when the first episode came on the air, and she sat beside me on the couch. She never smiled, never laughed. When it was all over, she turned to me and she said, Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh, well. I got a letter from a lady. She says, I sit in the living room. I watch with my husband. He thinks I'm laughing at the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and does she remain uh, a a harsh critic, would you say? How would you put it? Oh, no, I mean, well, number one, she's, you know, absolutely um, and understandably crazy about me. So she's, she's not a, she's <laughs> well, not something, she, something's keeping her. Yeah, something's keeping her there. I, you know, I don't I don't think she quite gets it. Or maybe I'm just I'm just too far. I'm just too extreme, you know, but that that's OK. You know, <laughs> it's she's seen the success and she's been a beneficiary of it. And, she, and mainly she sees I'm happy. I really like what I'm doing. And this is my last tour, but I'm not going out begrudgingly or because I need the money. I'm going out because I, I want to do it. But why retire it? Because it'll just get worse. That's why. And I owe it to my fans to not let it. It's the same reason I stopped doing the show. The show wasn't canceled. I, I said I can do two more seasons and I think we should stop. And CBC gave me a two-year contract, which was unbelievable at that time. And it allowed me to say goodbye to everybody. It allowed me to wrap up all the storylines and everything. And, and now it's time for me to move on from this. I don't want to come out there and be... I'm alone on stage for 90 minutes. I don't want to come out and, and do a Joe Biden. I want to do a Red Green. Well, we're going to miss Red. But Thank congratulations. Thanks, Alan. It's been a great it's been a great run. I'm not I'm not retiring. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do next. I'm just not gonna be touring, that's for sure. But uh thank you. And I, I, I have nothing but gratitude for the whole country. This is one of those amazing stories where I didn't go to the US and become famous. It all happened here. I left from here. I, I wasn't exporting Canadian talent, I was importing American money. So I'm proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> You're the reverse brain drain. I am. It's unfortunate that it's me, but at least it's a start. <laughs> uh, congratulations and uh, all the very best. Thanks for mu- so much for being with us. All right. Thanks, Alan. When we come back on the Alan Carter Radio Program, do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in alien abductions? Mike Drolet is a global national reporter. He's going to join me on the line. We're going to talk about that. And I know that's a, that's a, that's a giggle, isn't it? You think... Enough of the probing. But maybe there's more to it. More to it. More probing. That's next. In Squamish, British Columbia, a green glowing orb was recorded flying into a forest in 2017.
In 2016, a man in Alberta caught a small shape on his drone camera flyby at incredible speeds, which was similar to reports that came out of two other countries. What are they? Nobody knows. Or at least nobody is saying they do. Is it proof of extraterrestrials? Well, Mike Drolet will join us in just a moment. He is a global news, global national reporter, and he has been looking into the whole alien abduction and what are hoaxes and what aren't. And you will be surprised about the percentages. There are people out there that actually have businesses that go out there and debunk these things, and they say not everything is explainable. Mike will be with us in just a moment, but I want to go to Sean O'Shea, who is one of our other global news reporters, with a story from a Guelph, Ontario realtor who was busy trying to sell someone's home when she got a surprise call. Without her knowledge, someone else was trying to rent out the home that she was trying to sell. And as Sean reports, the realtor says money and a quest for documents was behind this scam. So I listed this property in Guelph. While realtor Carrie McCarl was busy trying to sell this home in Guelph, someone online had other ideas trying to cash in. I received a phone call. Uh, somebody had driven to the location. They saw my sign. They called me and asked if it was for rent as well as for sale. And I said, no, it's not for rent. Where are you getting that information from? Someone had taken public listing information about the home and placed it on another website and advertised the home for rent. It's houses that are listed for sale and for rent all across the world. What's in it for the fake renter? McCarl inquired to find out. Pretending I was interested in the property just to find out what they were requiring of people. They asked on the very bottom of their application, they asked for a picture of a copy of my passport. That's odd. That's scary. They wanted government ID and money, $500. In places like Guelph and elsewhere, the housing rental market is tight. I've had people comment, like, why would people fall for something like that? And unfortunately, when you have a crisis situation, people tend to do things they wouldn't rationally or normally do. You jump through hoops or try to find, and it's accommodation, it's housing, it's important. This kind of thing has been happening for a while in other cities. It's definitely not right, and it's scary because I don't, it's, it's bad enough somebody's losing money and people are taking advantage of other people. This one was listed on the website PropToGo.com. McCarl found other bogus ads there too. So did other real estate agents who've had the same experience. When McCarl called the web company to ask them to take it down, they didn't immediately do that. We tried to reach the company, too, without success. Those ads typically invite people interested to show up at the listed house. They say drive by the property, and if you're interested, fill out an application. But how do you explain a for sale or sold sign out front? They've got an answer for that. If you see the for sale sign, the realtor sign on the lawn, don't contact them. We had a falling out. Um, they are no longer representing us. In the case of this home, which did eventually sell, there was a great incentive to send documents and a deposit, sight unseen. A great price. They were asking for 950 including utilities. That is too good to be true. It is. McCarl went to police and reported this to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center. She was told that in the absence of a victim who's come forward and lost money, there's little they can do. Now, we're not saying the website is behind the rental ads or is at fault, only that the ads are on it. If you're considering renting a property, go in person, check out the person listing it as best you can, and be careful what identification you give and how much money you pay up front. 
That is reporter Sean O'Shea with a really frightening story for anybody trying to uh, rent a home, especially in the Guelph area. Mike Drolet joins us now on the line, and Mike has been investigating aliens and whether or not everything that we sort of snigger at is a hoax or not. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing, Alan? I'm doing great. So in the setup to your piece, I talked about the fact that you know, that there is actually somebody who has a business going around to sort of debunk these things, and not everything is debunkable. Not everything is. I mean, there's a there's a, so many more people out there that say that they've had experiences than you would ever believe. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of stories that just aren't true. There's a group, uh, a worldwide group, it's called MUFON. They're having um, an alien expo in Toronto on uh, September 21st. Uh, which should be interesting, but they they have you know their Toronto their Canadian based arm has investigators and they get people making reports, and they look into each one of them and they find uh, you know they found that about ninety percent are you know explainable ninety percent of what people say are UFOs are actually just you know either balloons or planes or you know some lights of some sort or in a satellite and uh, then about five to eight percent they go I can't explain that. And those are the ones that are really kind of interesting. And when you talk to these people, because you interviewed a bunch of them for your series that is running on Global National and can be seen on globalnews.ca, what's your impression? What's my impression of them personally or my impression of their story? Yeah, I guess your story. I mean, you know, I know that that is very difficult to separate those two things sometimes. But the story itself, let's start with the validity of the story. Well, there's really kind of two parts to it, you know. I mean, there's the there's these people with MUFON who investigate sightings, and you know they go off and they were like, there's people a couple of years ago who were certain that there was an alien ship about 50 feet tall, narrow, hovering over Toronto, and they got this video and they're like, wow, this is really interesting, and they started looking at it, and then they found some video from the other side. You know what it was? A Mr. Peanut hot air balloon. <laughs> so they were able to dispel that one. Uh, Please tell me you, you said know, peanut. Mr. Peanut, yes. Mr. Peanut. It's uh, an interesting story. But, you know, they, they, there is some stuff out there that is kind of hard to dispel. You think about some of the videos that are out there. There's one, uh, Hass Lake, H-A-S-S-E, Hass Lake, Alberta, from a couple of years ago. There is this object caught in drone video just moving super fast. They slow it down, and they can see it. It's kind of like, you know, a square, rectangular-shaped sort of thing. But it's moving at such an astonishing speed. And then they ended up catching that thing on video in a couple of other places around the world. So what is that? Can you explain it one way or the other? I don't know. I can't. Mike Trolley is a Global National reporter. And the, is the second part running tonight on the air, Mike? Yeah, the second part is tonight. We're talking to uh, to a man who makes it his business to try to get documents from the government to prove that uh, our fighter pilots have had encounters with uh, alien alien craft. Mike Trolling, Global National Reporter. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. My executive producer just walked through the door. You got a story about NDP candidates, sir. I got two for you, Alan. I got two. two. I got two political stories for you. You're a political guy. You're talking about aliens. Let's get rid of the unknown and let's go into the world that you know, right, baby? Okay, I can't believe you haven't seen this tweet. Hit me. All right. So many of our listeners probably haven't seen this tweet either. But two days ago, a woman named Kim Campbell, you heard of her? 
Former Prime Minister, yes. Yeah, for Rings a couple a days, right? A couple days. So in between uh, our good friend, uh, what was it, Brian Mulroney and Jean Chrétien? Am I right on that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, she threw out a tweet. Uh-huh. I'm going to set the story up. Your friend Anthony Farnell was on the TV talking about this hurricane that's churning in the Atlantic, and it's headed towards which state? I believe it would be Florida. Yes. And do you know what our former prime minister decided to tweet out? Uh, don't. Did she go with a Florida joke? I'm rooting for a direct hit on Mar-a-Lago. Ah, right. And do you know why that's funny and not funny all at once? Well, of course, it's a Trump. That's where our good friend Donald Trump is staying right now. So she is facing a ton of a ton of backlash. She tweeted this out two days ago. We saw it in the newsroom, and I went, I, okay, there's former Prime Minister Kim Campbell being former Prime Minister Kim Campbell again. I believe that formerly she had called Donald Trump a word I can't use on the hmm. radio head. Something like that. Recently, and you may remember this, she put out a tweet criticizing uh, female newscasters for being uh, sleeveless. <laughs> You remember what this? What doing? So she put out a thing saying that, you know, like, you know, this is, and th- this, of course, is a woman who shot to fame, remember, because she had that famous photograph of her sort of bare shoulders as she was holding the uh, the, the legal yep. robes, but yep. nevertheless. So that's story number one. Yeah. high and low. <laughs> <laughs> number so, two. So, okay. Story number two right. in the yeah. world of po- politics, Go. which is fascinating. Our friend David Aiken, who is our chief political correspondent, the headline is, to me, shocking, and I read on, and it is even more shocking. How far away are we from a federal election, Alan Carter? You want me to do math? No, i got to take my shoes and socks care. off. Roughly. Uh, roughly. A couple of months. Like less than. Yes. Check this, anal- uh, this headline out. NDP still needs 190 candidates. They are 190 candidates short of a full 338 candidates. That's a lot of numbers. Keep it down. What are they doing? Here's David Aiken. Sorry, David Aiken is uh, coming shortly. Sorry, Rob, I threw you under the bus there. It is not unusual for parties to still be running a handful of nomination races, even when the official campaign is underway. And all the major parties, the NDP included, vow that they will have candidates in all 338 ridings in time for Election Day. So they say they're so far behind because they're vetting candidates. The Green Party has 100 more than them. Maxime Bernier's party has 180 more than them. It, this is not looking good for Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. And I, I, it is amazing to me that you've got a prime minister who is embroiled in scandal after scandal. And nobody's going to be able to touch this man because Mr. Boring, Andrew Scheer, has a whole bunch of candidates ready to go. But Mr. Boring's running against Mr. Scandal. And the truth of the matter is, as I keep saying all the time, Jagmeet Singh doesn't get up off the floor. Uh, the NDP doesn't show up in the in the election. It's a majority. Because they don't even have people to run in the election yet. It's a majority. Which is crazy. It's it's still, you still have time. The problem sure, is. for 190? The, sure, but the problem is, is then this is where you get your trouble with the candidates. And we saw in the provincial election, that's exactly right. the turning point. Yeah. When Andrew Horvath had some momentum in the early going, and then it was, oh, Scandals well, came. it's, you know, here's here's your candidate that hates the police, and right. here's your candidate that doesn't like the poppies, and so on and so forth, and everybody thinks, ah, I don't know, a government of these people? And yep. so that becomes problematic. So UFOs or politics? Both a bunch of bunk, if you ask me. <laughs> 
Seriously, though, this this election is going to be a joke. All right, that is it. I have got to get myself to to a cottage. And you know what that is going to be? It's going to be my high. High my summer. Join me. On the news, on the tube tonight, 5.30 on Global News, 6 o'clock simulcast on this radio station. Until next week, have yourself a great, great weekend. I look like a guy who's been hitting the gym.